So far in the book of Acts, we've seen the church blossom. We've seen the church persecuted. We've seen the church have to deal with sin. And now we're seeing the church once again in a purified state, serving, doing miraculous, wonderful things. God is blessing it with multitudes of people coming. And we're going to run into some trouble again. Let me read for you Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. By common consent, they would all meet in Solomon's colonnade. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people praised them highly. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, crowds of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the street and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a large crowd came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then the high priest took action. He and all his colleagues, those who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the city jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple complex and tell the people all about this life. In obedience to this, they entered the temple complex at daybreak and began to teach. Something amazing in this scripture Beyond the fact that an angel, God sent an angel to the, to the jail, and the angel unlocked the doors and escorted the, the apostles out. And then he said something. Here's the amazing thing that he said. Go, stand in the temple complex, and tell the people all about this life. This life. What life is that? Is it the life of of a religious person? Is it the life of a believer? Is it the life of a churchgoer? Is it the life of a follower of Jesus? What is this life that, that the angel was talking about? What was it that they were supposed to go say? I'm kind of shocked when I read Acts because Peter has had a whole lot of dialogue in, in, in the, the chapters that we've read so far. We've read a couple of really good sermons by Peter, but we don't see exactly what it was that they went to the temple complex and, and preached. All we see later on in, in Acts chapter 5 is, is that whenever they, they went to go get the apostles, they weren't there, they searched for them. Somebody found them in the temple. They were preaching. They went. You know, the guards kind of apprehensively brought them because they were like, how did this happen? The guards were kind of weirded out, and, and they brought them back. But we don't necessarily get the transcript or the manuscript of the sermon. And so we're left to kind of wonder, what is this life? What was the life that the angel was talking about? I'm going to take us back through Acts, and I'm just going to point out what this life is because we see the life that God calls us to in in faith in his son Jesus Christ all throughout what we've read so far we see it exhibited by the apostles and we see it played out by the church as a whole and the first thing I want want you to see is that there was a mission 
This life is centered around a mission. This life is driven by a purpose. Go back to um, Acts 1.8 with me. And we'll see that mission. Acts 1.8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. Now what is a witness? A witness is someone who can testify to the truth, to actual events that have taken place. A witness is someone who can vouch for someone else's character. A witness is someone who has first-hand experience with what they're talking about, and they have credibility, and they can speak about it authoritatively. So the apostles, and every Christian since then, was supposed to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, we are to be His witnesses. We are to be His representatives. Our mission is to speak accurately about who Jesus is by the way we live our lives. Our hearts should break for the things that break His heart. We should have compassion for the people that He had compassion for. Our priorities should match up what His priorities were. We should tell the world who Jesus is accurately. Faithfully and consistently. I spoke this morning at that school and um, it was to sixth graders, so let's give them some slack. But I was preaching and I was given the eight minute version of this. Okay? Just imagine, by then I was already five eighths of the way done. But this morning I was preaching this and there was a table of, of sixth grade boys and they just were disrupting. They were snickering and laughing and, you know, throwing chicken rings at each other because it, it happens during their lunch time. And it's a club, and it's a really neat thing. But I'm trying to speak to them about this mission, about how, how we're setting an example, how we are the witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come into Bible study, we come to church for the purpose of, of building ourselves up in the faith, of, of, of knowing God better, of seeking His faith and, and becoming more unified in our fellowship with one another. That's where we get the encounter, explain, and encourage. You know, those are our three mission statements. To encounter God, explain Him to others, and encourage one another. And that's why we come to church, to get that guidance, to stay focused on that mission. And I was talking to these kids about how they're in Bible study, and, 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 and they have, they have a, a mission to go back out into those hallways and to speak accurately about the things that God showed them while they were in Bible study. And these boys were just, they were driving me crazy. And I asked them calmly, I said, guys, I said, I need you to listen to me. And so I, I tried to get back on point, and they were still over here. And I said, guys, I'm serious. You're being very disrespectful. And so I tried to get back on point. And then finally, third time's a charm, I held the Bible up and I said, listen, fellas, you have nothing more important to say than what's coming out of my mouth right now. And you're being incredibly disrespectful to this word. And that kind of got their attention. And then I said, the, the, the problem that I'm seeing right now is that you've come into Bible study and you're here for the purpose of goofing off and, and acting up whenever there's a man standing here trying to give food for your soul so that when you go back out there, you don't lie about who God is. You don't, you don't goof off and, and you, you don't show disrespect to others and, and you speak accurately about what Jesus has done in your life and, and who He is to you. And I said, you're going to miss it. Because you're in here 
wanting to do nothing but act silly. See, they were missing the mission. They were missing the fact that God has given us a clear-cut mission. Listen to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go! And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. That's our mission is to go and be witnesses. Go and make disciples. Go and baptize. But we can't do that if we're not coming into a place where we are being filled with the presence of God and, and, and with the, the knowledge of His Word. The next thing we see in Acts 1.8 is, is this life is not only based on mission, it's, it's driven by a mission, it's fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've said that before in this series on Acts, is that Jesus didn't come and give us the, the, the mission and say, good luck, I hope you learned enough. You guys got this. He didn't say anything like that. He brought them a mission. He, in Matthew 28, He said, go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. And then He says, but I'm with you. I'll always be with you. And then in Acts 1.8, He says, and power will come upon you when the Holy Spirit... Or, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be My witnesses. I'll give you what you need to do what I'm asking you to do. And so we see that this life, this life that the angel told the apostles, go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Your life has a mission. Your life has power. And your life has unity. Unity with God because He has, he has sealed you. He has given you a covenant that can never be broken. He has filled you with the Holy Spirit. His presence dwells among you. But you also have unity with one another. Look at what, what the church did. After Jesus had ascended into heaven and they returned and they were with each other. And it says, All these were continually united in prayer along with the women including Mary the mother of Jesus and His brothers. They were united in prayer. And then look at verse, or chapter 2 verse 42. Again, we see, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Guys, our church, our lives, this life, of belonging to Jesus means that we belong to one another. We're united under His blood as brothers and sisters, as friends and companions and partners in ministry to be united for one simple reason, and that's the mission. It's to make God known. To glorify Jesus by the way we are witnesses of Him. <coughs> this life has a mission. It has power. And, and it has unity. We're unified together. We come here together. We come here together for one reason. And that is to glorify God. That's why we come. That's part of this life. The next one is fellowship. We just read it there in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And they came together regularly. And they fellowshiped. A fellowship. Let's read verses 43 through 47. Look at the fellowship here. It says, Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. 
They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and humble attitudes, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Fellowship. Brother Ronnie He's preached a lot of good sermons, but I think Sunday morning he probably preached one of the best sermons I've ever heard him preach. And he preached about, uh, part of his sermon was about this fellowship. About it's important for us to at times seclude ourselves with one another. It's important at times for us to withdraw away from the world. Withdraw away from the unbelievers and to come together and to be united and have food together and have fun together and laugh with one another and cry with one another and be honest and real with one another about what's really going on inside. <coughs> it's important for Christians to fellowship. It's important for you to understand that it is only with Christians that you are meant to fellowship. Not friendship, but fellowship. That deeper type of intimate relationship that you have with your very best friend. The type of deeper intimate relationship that one day you'll have with your spouse, your husband or your wife, and, your, and even your children. That you know me better than anybody. That is supposed to be excluded to Christians. Our friendship with the world is a non-negotiable. We have to be friends with those who are outside of the, the faith? Or how else will we build the relationships that, that, that some people require to hear the gospel? Because I'm telling you, your dating relationships, your most intimate friendships that you have, you have to be careful on who you pick to let into your heart. Because if they don't understand the heart of God, they'll never, they'll never understand and appreciate your heart. Never. You have to be careful about who you open yourself up to in fellowship. The next thing we see is opportunity. Let's go back a little bit. The church was blessed with opportunity in the early days. This life today is still blessed with opportunities. Rachel, I can't be more proud of you. I got that letter and I read it and I kind of put it down. Then I was going through the mountain. I read it again. I was like, that's Rachel Carson. I was like, she's going to Africa. She's going to Uganda. This is amazing. Look at the opportunity. We have an opportunity to go to Guatemala next summer. You know, God's given me an opportunity to go to Kenya and to preach and have an African choir behind me, and that's going to be amazing. I'm really psyched about that. But God has given us opportunities for Project Acts. God has given you an opportunity to go into your school every single day into the ordinary life that you live and to be witnesses of the gospel. Whenever you commit to live the life of following Jesus, I promise you He will bless you and trust you with opportunity to share His goodness and His love with others. Look at this. Here's the opportunity. Acts chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. Look at this opportunity. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability to speak. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
When this sound occurred, the crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. That is opportunity. You know how many marketing directors of major corporations would love to have that opportunity to be able to, to propagate their, their message at once to every nation? That's opportunity. These, these apostles were committed to following Jesus. It was more than a decision to say, yes, Jesus is Lord. It was more than a decision to say, yes, Jesus is God. It was more than just a decision to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. It was a commitment. A commitment. I was reading a book this morning called Not a Fan by Kevin Adelman, and he brings off this illustration about how there's a difference between a decision and a commitment. Okay? Let's say we're, and this is his illustration, I don't want to take credit where credit's not due, but Kevin Ottoman's illustration of, of uh, let's say we're at a wedding, and, and the husband stands there, and he's, he's got his bride right there in front of him, and it's time for him to do his vows, and he's written them himself, and, and he looks at her and he says, Sweetheart, I want you to know that I love you more than any person, that you are, are the, the, you know, the completion of who I am and, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be devoted to you and I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna cherish you and, and, and I'm not gonna let anything harm you if I can help and he says all these things. I'm not really feeling romantic because my wife's in Spain right now, but you know, you get the point. He was being really, you know, like ooey gooey romantic and all the women in the crowd are crying. <laughs> so sweet. And all the men are like great. <laughs> this guy, the bar is like World record height now. We'll never match that. <laughs> and you would think that because of his words, he's just, he's, he's committed. But I want to tell you, reality is, is there have been plenty of men who have stood at the altar and made a decision to be faithful to their wives and before the honeymoon was over, had broken that, that commitment. We can decide all we want to do whatever we want, but it's not until we commit to it that we actually do it. These men were committed to the gospel. To death, they were committed to being Jesus' witnesses in all throughout the world. And it cost, it cost them their lives. But they were committed. And because of their commitment, because God could see the commitment of their hearts, He opened up opportunities for them to do great things. Opportunity comes from commitment. Commit to the Lord and He will give you the opportunities. I promise. So this life is full of opportunity. Look at, look at Acts 3, 1 through 8. It says, Now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gates called Beautiful so he could beg for... Th- from those entering the temple complex. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Opportunity. Opportunity. They were committed to every day living out a regiment of, of loving the Lord, of serving the Lord, of <coughs> fellowshipping with the Lord, communicating with the Lord. 
And God just lands them an opportunity. An opportunity that eventually gave Peter a platform to preach to where thousands more believed. Opportunity. A committed life of following Jesus Christ. As the apostles said, I can just imagine, I don't know, but I can just imagine, they were saying, guys, this life affords us the opportunity to make a difference in the world. Eternal difference in the world. Opportunity. The next thing we see is this life. This life is about obedience. Acts 4, 19 reads this way. But Peter and John answered them, this is after their first arrest, after healing the lame man and preaching to the people the truth that it was the name of Jesus and Jesus' power alone that healed that man and, and gave him that, that health. He says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. Obedience. Here are the most powerful people in their culture. Some of the same people who had, who had manipulated the Roman Empire to crucify their Lord. Telling them, stop preaching in His name. And they say, listen, we have to be obedient. You decide whether it's right or wrong for us to, to listen to you or to God. But we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't stop. We have to be obedient. And then in, in our our. Uh, passage today in verse 21 we see after the angel had broken them out of jail and, and escorted them out and said go to the temple complex and so all the people about this life in obedience to this they entered the temple complex at daybreak and began to teach they did the exact same thing that got them arrested they got a get out of free uh, get out of jail free card only to go back and do the same thing that got them arrested in the first place. You know why? Because God told them to. It didn't have to make sense. It was just what God said and that settled it. Because they were committed. A committed life to following Jesus Christ is one that is marked by obedience to His Word. Obedience. Not, not justified logic and, and good common sense. Because... I'm sorry, but if you read the Bible, good common sense and God's Word, God's will are just at odds with one another at times. Not always, but often. At odds with one another. And so whenever we read something in Scripture, and it makes good common sense that if someone is talking bad about us and hating on us and spreading rumors about us, it makes good common sense to not only defend ourselves, but maybe point out some of the flaws in that person too in our next conversation. But that's not what the Bible says that we ought to do. The Bible says that whenever people persecute us and hate us and, and spread gossip and rumors and slanders about us, we should pray for them. We should pray that they should receive all the blessings that we ourselves desire for, for us. That doesn't make any sense. But it's the truth. And a committed life to following Jesus will, will see that in Scripture and they'll get on their knees and they'll, they'll, they'll pray, God, give me the ability to do that. Help me to live out Your Word. Give me the boldness and the grace and the strength to be obedient to You at all costs. Because it's at the point of obedience when we begin to either tell the truth about God or lie about God. 
It's that simple. The next thing that we see this life is about is sacrifice. Look at Acts 4.36-37. This life is about sacrifice. Joseph, a Levite and a Cypriot by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. We also see back in, in a previous scripture we read that they were sharing. Excuse me. They, they were sharing, they were selling their property, they were sacrificing their possessions whenever they saw a brother or a sister who had a genuine need. They would go and they would sell their house, they would sell their donkey, they would sell their, their, their furniture if it meant that this other person got to eat today and got the medical care that they needed today. This life of following Jesus is one of sacrifice. And it's not just monetary sacrifice, although that's important because the Bible says a lot about money. It says where your heart is or where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. It says you can't love God and you can't love money at the same time. The, the love of money, in fact, is the root of all evil. So yeah, we are to monetarily sacrifice as followers of Jesus Christ to bless other people. But it's so much more than that. Whenever Jesus was encountered with people who were asking Him about this life in the Gospel, people would come to Jesus and they would say, I'll follow you to the end of the earth. I'll follow you. And He would say, he'd say listen, listen, birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but I don't even have a bed. So if you follow Me, you're going to have to sacrifice your comfort. You're going to have to give up your right to a good night's sleep if you come on this road. Because there's going to be days, there's going to be nights to when you're going to have to be on your knees praying in the wilderness for strength because of where I will take you if you follow me. But it's worth it. And then we have another guy come and he says, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll go wherever you go. And he says, but first, let me go and bury my father. <laughs> Jesus was thinking your father's not even dead yet. You just want the inheritance. You want to put me off. You want to keep pushing me off until it's a convenient time. But I tell you, the, the day of salvation is today. You're hearing the gospel preached today. If you want to be committed to follow Jesus, do it today. Because this is the opportunity for you. He says, you can't put this off. If you want to follow me, you follow me now. You let the dead bury the dead. You sacrifice your inheritance. You sacrifice your relationships with your family. And you come follow me. See, it's a sacrifice. It's a daily denying yourself. Taking up your cross, which is a sacrifice, by the way. He was sacrificed on the cross. It was a sign of ridicule and shame. It is not the, 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 you know, the feel-good little emblem we wear around our, our necks nowadays. It literally meant ridicule, shame, embarrassment, and disgrace. You pick up those characteristics and you say, I will be ridiculed for Christ. I will be embarrassed for Christ. I will be shamed for Christ. I will suffer disgrace for Christ. Because that is the life that He calls me to. And it's worth it. It's worth it. I wouldn't trade a single persecution or hateful thing anybody has ever said to me because of Christ for anything else. Obedience and sacrifice and persecution. We've already talked a great deal about persecution, but look at this. Acts 4, 1-3. through 3. Now, as they were speaking to the people, the priests, the commanders of the temple, police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were provoked 
that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead using Jesus as the example. So they seized them and put them in custody until the next day since it was already evening. They arrested them. And then we see now in our, in our passage tonight, they were arrested. And then if you fly through the book of Acts and you fly through Paul's letters and you fly through church history, I'm telling you there will be persecution for those who are committed to following Jesus Christ. It is a promise that you will be persecuted. Jesus says, a slave is not above his master. You're not. Do not be deluded in thinking that if you decide to follow Jesus and commit your life to Him, He will shield you from bad things happening. He will not. In fact, He will heap persecution upon you. He will allow persecution to come upon you to test and to refine and strengthen your faith. Because I'm telling you, when you get that notice, when you get that, that call, when you get that visit or that email, you'll have no place to go but on your knees before your father saying, God, I need your help. I can't do this. I can't stand it. You're going to have to fight this battle for me. Because it's ultimately about him anyways. It's about His name. It's about His gospel. Persecution is a promise for the committed follower of Jesus. He says, a slave is not above his master. If they persecute me and if they hate me, how much more are they going to hate you for believing in me? We are not the home team in this country anymore. We'll never be again. I pray Christ come quickly. But I fear that the more realistic expectation is that we as believers in Jesus Christ need to be on our knees more praying for more boldness and strength because there's a day coming when persecution will really be felt in this country. Today, today Christians were killed for the sake of the gospel all around the world. They were imprisoned. They were tortured. Their children were stolen from them. They were burned. They were skinned. They had acid poured on them. They were hanged. They were decapitated. They had limbs cut off. They were forced to, to drink poison. All over the world today, Christians are suffering persecution. And you know what? They'd say it was worth it. I wouldn't trade a minute of it for anything else in the world. Because when we commit to following Jesus and we come to the point of understanding that all else is like rubbish, for the sake of the glory that God is preparing for us in heaven. I'll go through hell to get to heaven. A committed life of following Jesus Christ will be a life that experiences persecution. I'm closing up here. Got three more. Service. The life of a committed follower of Jesus Christ is marked by service. Acts 5, 12-16, we just read it, many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. By common consent, they would all meet in Solomon's colonnade. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people praised them highly. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers in both crowds of men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. In addition, a large crowds came together from the Towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You know why we have deacons? Do you know why we have deacons? Is because 
the need for service became too great for the apostles to carry out on their own. Because the church has always been about serving people. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He put on a towel and washed His, his disciples' feet instead of sitting in a place of honor and being served. He said, whenever you see the least of these who is naked and hungry and poor and homeless, and when you help them, you have served me. This life is marked by service. Service. There are needs, people, that we should be meeting. Emotional needs, physical needs, financial needs, psychological needs, relational needs. And here's the kicker. I know about... 60 of you. If everybody that I knew was a part of our ministry at one time, there would be about 60 to 70 of you. Guess what? You probably each know that many more people out there. Do you know the needs of the people around you? Are your eyes open to the needs of the people around you? They should be. Because we should be coming together as a ministry, not a group, but a ministry to meet those needs. Guys, you should be taking advantage of the vehicle of this ministry and the resources of this ministry to go and meet people's needs. If you have somebody in school that you know about or a family member that you know about who is in need, please bring it to us so we can be a ministry that does something because we're committed to the gospel. We're committed to following Jesus Christ and we meet needs in service. The next one, you know I'm going to get excited about this one. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 40. You guys have heard me say it this way. I'm going to say it again. The first churches, first preacher, preaches his first sermon. And at the end of his, his first sermon, in verse 37, when they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what must we do? And the first invitation word, with the first word, is what? Repent. Repent. There is no forgiveness apart from repentance. None. Repent. Peter sets the stage for every sermon's invitation in the very first sermon when he says, you want to know what you have to do to commit to following Jesus? Here it is. Do something that you've never done before. Repent. Turn away from your sins. All of them. As God reveals more and more of the darkness of your heart, shed light on it. As you become more aware of the sins that you have, you have harbored in your heart, repent of those. It's a process. <coughs> I, know, I know things about myself today that I didn't know 14 years ago. I've taken up new bad 
habits and, and, and behaviors that I didn't do 14, 15 years ago. And so as I develop, God is coming along with me every step of the way. He's saying, look, you, you, you somehow figured out how to do something new that's a sin. Now I need you to repent of that. It's not that whenever we become Christians and we decide, okay, God, I'm going to be committed to following Jesus from this point out. I repent of my sins. You're done with repenting. It's not how it works. You repent every single day. Paul said, I die daily. You know what that meant? Not that he physically died daily, but that he every day died to himself, died to his sin, died to his old nature to rebel against God because we all carry that with us in our humanity until the day we die. He said, I die daily. I repent of the old me every day. I wake up and I have a discipline. I have a regiment. I have a routine that gets my mind focused every day on repenting of my sins and living a committed life of following Jesus today. The last one, look at this. I'm not going to read all these scriptures, but stay with me. The last mark, and guys, this is not an exhaustive list. Trust me, okay? There are many more things about this life. If I had more time, if I had an hour instead of, you know, already being seven minutes over, if I had an hour to preach to you, I would preach about the joy. I would preach to you about the, the, the blessings. I would preach to you about the confidence. I would preach to you about the security and the assurance. I would preach to you about the love. I would preach to you about the acceptance. I would preach to you about, about being God's son, and nothing can ever change that. I would preach to you about the future, about our hope. I would preach to you about all those things, and all those things are about this life. And I'm sure the apostles covered that when the angel said, go and tell all the people about this life. I'm sure they told them all about all of those things. But I only have just about two minutes left with you. And so I want to tell you that, that this life is founded by mission. It's, it's fueled by power. It has unity, fellowship, opportunity, obedience, sacrifice, persecution, service, repentance, and action. Action. In Acts 1.14, they prayed. That's an action. You pray. In Acts 2.14, they proclaimed. They said something. They stood for something. They made it known. There were no secret disciples. There were no hidden, hidden uh, uh, followers of Jesus Christ. They, they proclaimed the gospel. In Acts 2.45, they shared they considered others as more important than themselves. And they sacrificially gave of their resources, gave of their time, and gave of themselves for others. They shared. Acts 3, 7, they healed. They went into people's circumstances and they did what, what they could do as the Holy Spirit empowered them to do it. They healed people. Guys, there's people hurting and wounded and we can heal them by our actions, by our attitudes, by our friendships, by our interactions with them. Acts 4, 8, they defended they didn't whine, no. They didn't complain about how unfair it was that, that the government was telling them that they need to keep quiet. They didn't do that, but they defended. They stood and they said, whether it's right for us to listen to you or to listen to God, we cannot stop speaking about the truth, and this is why it's the truth, and they knew the truth, and they could stand on the truth, and, and they could defend it. 
Acts 4.29, they depended. When they had been persecuted, they came back, they got on their knees, and they said, God, we need more boldness and we can only get it from You. We're depending on You, God. Acts 5.21, they faithfully obeyed. Obedience is an action. I said earlier that today is the day of salvation. Some of you may have made a decision that you believed in Jesus. That's a good start, but you're not there yet. You may have raised your hand at the end of a service whenever somebody says, who wants to make a decision for Jesus today? Who wants to make a decision to be a believer in Jesus Christ today? And you raised your hand and says, I believe that's easy. And they never shared with you any of this commitment stuff. And you're sitting here listening to today and you're, you're kind of like, okay, I know I decided that Jesus was God. I know that I decided to believe that He died for my sins, but what have I done in action that, that proves that that was genuine? Where's the fruit of my salvation? Where is it? So tonight, I want you to take an inventory Examine yourselves. Test yourselves against the Scriptures that we've read tonight. Does your life resemble the commitments that, that Scripture holds for us? Does your life have a commitment to follow Jesus Christ? Because believing in Jesus and following Jesus are not the same, but they cannot be separate. They, they go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. You can believe in Him and not following, follow Him and that belief means nothing. You can say, I'm going to follow the teachings of this guy but really not believe in who He was and, and that following means nothing. But when you put belief and, and commitment together and you follow what you believe in your actions, you've hit it. So tonight I want to invite you to repent of your sins. I want to invite you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life to fill your life with the Holy Spirit and to make you a new creation. And I want to invite you to commit to Him tonight. I wonder if there's anybody in here who will do that. We're going to pray and just like our services always go, I'm going to pray and when I say amen, I want the band to actually go out for a minute. Okay, because I think sometimes we, we keep people from, because they want to talk and, and everything. So if, if you want to come and commit your life to Jesus Christ tonight, you come up here and we'll settle that tonight. If the Lord is speaking to you and saying, that's you, you need to do that. You've never done that. Let's do that. I don't care how many it is. We're all here for the same reason. We can all do it together. We can come up here and settle those commitments. When I say amen, those who want to be committed for the first time, come forward. Those who are committed or choose not to be, please leave quietly.